Welcome to the From MD to Entrepreneur podcast. In this podcast, I talked to Danielle Levy, business consultant. We talk all about how she knew what to do after she was feeling burnt out, how she got clarity on the next steps to take, and how she was able to take steps in an unknown direction, and how she was able to take steps without knowing exactly where she was going to go to. Hey, Danielle, how's it going? Hi, how are you? I'm great today. Awesome. Excited to chat. Uh, you know, for our listeners that haven't had a chance to look up your stuff, uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now? Yeah. So I am from Boston and I came up through the ad agency scene, very similar to like the TV show Mad Men, worked in design studios, communication consulting, and got completely burnt out. So I do, I did what everybody does when they're completely burnt out. And I went to graduate school and got even more burnt out. <laughs> And um, came out of graduate school and knew that I needed to kind of figure out what this next season of my career was going to be. And it was right in a line with a milestone birthday that I was having. And I took a totally personal trip where it ended up being like one of the defining moments of my career um, in that I ended up being with several online influencers. I had no idea who they were or what they did or what they were influencing of, but it just that introduction, they then became my first clients and I've been consulting and working in the online space ever since. And it's been a blast all because I took a chance on my birthday. <laughs> I'd love to kind of dig into that trip because a lot of times, a lot of connections and stuff is serendipity. But let me give you a quick example. At one time after I finished my training residency, I decided that I'm going to be more involved in kind of the medical doctor entrepreneur scene. And I just, you know, one day I made a decision that, Hey, I'm going to do this. And a couple weeks after someone posted online, like, Hey, does anyone live in Los Angeles in a doctor Facebook group? I was like, yeah. I live in Los Angeles. I'm going to ho host an event. I'll pay for it. I'll market. I'll do everything, you know? Um, and my now business partner saw that and reached out to me immediately. And our very first phone call was like three and a half hours. And we, instantly connected. So I'm always interested in moments. So a lot of people will say, Hey, I did this and it was the game changer, but would love to dig in a little bit deeper. Like, tell me about that. Was it just a random event? Were you, did you plan it? Like, how did you go to an event with all these influencers or people that might potentially be good clients would love to dig in a little bit deeper on that. Okay. So no judgment on what I'm about to tell you. <laughs> this is a true story though. I tend to be a pretty introverted person and I get really shy when I think the attention is on me. And yet I also, I'm a mom and I had just hustled my way through this amazing career and graduate school and was just really needing something for myself, which was a very hard thing for me to acknowledge. And I had gone to a couple of my best friends and said, let's do a trip. And one was going to be, one trip was to be to Cuba. I forget where the other trips were going to be, but one of my friends got laid off and then Cuba wasn't a lot, had travel restrictions. And so deep in the rabbit holes of the internet, I am quite positive at two and three in the morning. This is a true story. I decided I wanted to go to Joan London. I don't even know if you know who she is. And I'm definitely getting the network wrong, but think basically like Good Morning America or the Today Show. I'm sure mm -hmm. your listeners know exactly which program she did. I didn't, I just knew her face for morning time TV and that she lived in Maine and I was going to get to Joan London's summer camp. And 
Um, I got to her page and I'm ready to spend whatever amount of money it was going to take because this was my birthday and I had already, all these trips had gone away. And on her homepage was a sign that said, after 10 years, my camp has closed. My summer camp has closed no longer. And I was like, what? This is my birthday. Does not Joe <laughs> understand? And so that only like precipitated, I am going to find a women's summer camp that I can go play. I just wanted to go somewhere and I wanted to play. I wanted to do all the things that you do in a summer camp with better food and better adventure and women that just wanted like professional women that just wanted to play and have fun and truly experience joy. And I found Molly Mahar's um, Stratajoy program. And that was exactly what she was offering, except that it was in Asheville, North Carolina. And that time of year, I came to find out just rains all the time. So here we were this ready for this huge, like big fun weekend in, I think it was a Christian boys camp, even though she had just rented it out. These, so these crappy cabins, all of these professional women that just wanted to celebrate and go rock climbing and kayaking and do all the great things. And it was pouring rain and we sat in cabins and just had girl talk for the entire weekend with total strangers. And it was like I said, that's, that is how I met these influencers. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know what influencers were, um, but I just knew that I had to take a chance on myself and go on this trip. And I don't know what was calling me into the internet at three o'clock in the morning or what made me get on that airplane, but it was the best thing that I ever did. So after you got there, I'm sure you had great discussions and I oftentimes go to conferences and have great discussions, but it always peters off. We always make these plans to hang out and just life gets busy. So I'm always interested in people who are able to keep that connection going and especially work together in the future. So how did you keep that relationship strong? I actually got really lucky. There was a gal there. This is also true. Please, no judgment. Um, <laughs> she was learning how to do makeup and she needed models and it was raining out. So we had nothing to do. So I just sat there and let her do my eyeshadow and my blush and all of these things that I'm clearly not um, just, I'm a plain Jane kind of girl. Um, <laughs> and we got talking and I sort of told her what I did and what she did and whatever. And as it turns out, she was under a non-compete with her clients. But because of that social interaction that we had and that time to kind of get to know who each other were as real humans and what our values were and what we were looking for, it, it's strictly because of that relationship that I have with this gal, Ashley, and the fact that she was under this non-compete that she immediately started referring to me. And so it really wasn't a business transaction. It was two people that were just human one weekend, both trying to solve a business problem. Yeah, and trying to look at things, not just from what you can get out of it, right? Like, what are you going to yeah. get out of someone practicing makeup on you? Maybe right. an eye or something, but it's, it's deciding to be involved. But as an introvert, it sounds being stuck in a cabin with strangers, really a level of hell. And so would love to hear, how did you look at things differently? Or how did you go out and start talking to people being at least doing stuff with strangers is less intimidating than just staring at each other in the face. Yeah. I think there's a couple of parts to that. I truly don't know what, I think I was so angry with Joan London, not going to not get on the plane and do this thing. Right. And I say that totally sarcastically, 
but something about me was like, no, I want this experience. I think the program that I was in, I very carefully reviewed it and knew that there were a lot of similar people that were coming together for different reasons and that it was as safe a place as it could be. Not that I wasn't terrified about it, but also what was interesting about the makeup was the makeup, even though it wasn't my thing, it gave me the purpose for being in the room because I was the person being done, right? And so as an introvert, I didn't need to be speaking. I didn't need to be holding my space, but I was passively sort of part of the conversation where I was able to create the relationships on my own terms and in a more one-to-one kind of basis, which is where I thrive. Yeah. So I think the makeup was probably more self-serving than I realized. (laughs) I I think for a lot of people, they have certain groups of or sizes of people that they're good with. So a lot of introverts are good with one-on-one. For me, it's kind of one-on-three to four, but once it gets past a couple amount, that's too much. Well, my business partner, the more the merrier. He's It's always him and like 20 people and he's yeah. super charismatic. And that's why I love hanging out with him and it works well for our business. But yeah, it, it's it's finding what aligns with you and just going with the grain. So often we're trying to go against our grain or against our personalities and it just makes life so much more difficult. Yeah, which I think is something important to bring up. So I went from being like this rock star locally, professionally, to when I started having these introductions from these A-list clients, I was really like, talk about imposter syndrome. Like I didn't know... They were using all kinds of words and all kinds of technology that I had never heard of before. And here was this relate this person that was referring me to them. And I was doing my best to try to seem knowledgeable while learning as I went. Leonardo DiCaprio does what is that movie that he was in? I can't think of it. Oh gosh. It's the one who pretends to be the the airplane pilot. I'm sure you know what it is. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on anyway, a true story. Yeah. Based on a true story. Exactly. Yeah, but basically yeah. he went in to teach some kind of a class that he knew nothing about. And and the moral of that lesson was that you just had to stay one chapter ahead, right? Like he got through the entire semester simply by staying one step ahead. And that's exactly what I was doing. And as an introvert and as someone who is professionally insecure at that point, really staying true to who I was and showing up with the skills that I had in a really authentic way was super, super important because everything else I knew that I could figure out but I had to have the trust of the client that I could figure it out. And so that was probably for me, the hardest part of making that transition was just saying that one chapter ahead, knowing and really being confident in the things that I knew, and then being okay to say, let me go figure out the rest. I think that humility is huge, right? And yeah. that, that's what really differentiates people. It's the people that know what they're talking about also know what they're not talking about. And I remember when I first started as a moderator for a real estate forum, I knew my own real estate, but a lot of times I was just Googling things. I'd be yes. like, what does this Google say? And then find three other sources and triangulate. I was like, yeah, this sounds right. Yeah, yeah. And one time I remember this person who was in the industry is like, nope, you're totally wrong. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah. Not a big deal. The world didn't end. No one was like, oh, that Prene guy. 
never going to trust him again. Right. Not a big deal. And it's so powerful. And uh, so I, I think like being able to look things up and being able to teach yourself is probably one of the best skills. Before, probably a couple months ago, I'd say the most important skill you can learn is to be able to Google things well. Now it's probably being able to chat GPT things. Yeah, but I think it's interesting because I was having, I have school age kids. And so we were talking about chat GPT as a tool. And it was interesting to get it from like a, a 13 year old's perspective because very much, you know, I think the conversation actually revolved around the fact I didn't realize that chat GPT based on a job description can actually write resumes for you. See, this is what I don't know about things, right? And so we were talking about the fact that as, as strong as your resume might be, or as well as you might write an article, if you don't have the real world experience to back it up and show up, to be actionable, to be able to do the work, then like how valuable a tool are these things? So definitely it's how good, how well can you Google these things or how well can you chat GPT things? And I think they're amazing learning tools, but it doesn't replace the human involved with it because there, there still needs to be a human to drive the mission. Totally. And especially for these resumes that now look impeccable, it's as a person that's interviewing someone, you have to be able to dig in. So tell me about this job experience. What did you actually do? And tell me what didn't go well, what went well. And so you do have to dig in deeper. And I think what's going to happen is kind of the middle, the low to middle blog posts. Uh, there was even like two episodes ago, Seth Godin did a podcast where the whole thing was written by ChatGPT. And then mm -hmm. at the end, he said, uh, actually, these are my only words, the whole podcast. So it was, a, it was also spoken by this AI that was trained on his voice and it really sounded like it. So I think that there is a lot of opportunity there, but we have to one, remember the human, but also figure out these tools and use them for good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so you, you have these clients and you have this amazing experience in the ad industry. So we'd love to talk about what kind of people do you help and what are some common setbacks that you see in that industry? Yeah. So I work with six, seven and eight figure entrepreneurs and small business always have a proven revenue model and they are the best way that I can describe it is stuck. Sometimes it is stuck with the CEO kind of being too involved in the business and the business is suffering from it. I always call those my chief everything officers instead of my CEOs, right? Sometimes <laughs> they don't know what to do. They, they know what got them that far, but they don't know how to get to the next level. Most of my clients that I work with are visionaries. And so they're not always the best at managing teams or hiring or managing cash flow or any of those kinds of things. And I also look, work with them to really look at their product suite and figure out based on the user experiences, like where the holes are and where they have additional opportunities. Really what I do when I think about my clients, I really try to go into these businesses thinking of the business as my client rather than the person that's signing my paycheck. Um, I really try to own the businesses figuratively, of course, and say, if this were my business, knowing that I am strong in the marketing and digital operations area, what can I do to really optimize this, optimize the business um, to make the CEO's job even easier, make sure that clients are having best possible experience and that the lifetime value of the customers are as they should be. You mentioned the word visionary. I, I think a lot of us entrepreneurs uh, know what that means, but would love to hear a definition for the people that are kind of just getting into this. 
Yeah. So the visionaries are those people that are just so passionate and have these big ideas, generally highly creative, generally can see things that the average person can't see and knows how to bring people together um, behind that purpose. Is that how we, is that how you would describe it? Yeah, definitely. And it's separate from just an idea person, right? It's an, it's a visionary is a person that not only has the idea, but is able to convince other people that it's a good idea. Yeah. And I think that's the difference because a lot of people who didn't have the idea of Uber, right? But it's, it takes a strong person to be able to bring that into life and a team, of course, but really a strong founder to kind of take it from drawing board to execution. Exactly. Yep. One thing that I have seen, and I've been fortunate to see a lot of visionaries, but then they get stuck, like you said. Uh, it almost feels like they're going in mud after a while. They, it's like this, and then they hit a plateau. And it's always operations that gets in the way. So would walk through your process, like how do you, how do you audit or how do you look at a company and try to figure out where the need is in terms of operations, because probably they don't have any SOPs. They don't have anything. They just have a visionary and then a couple of people that are working under her. Yeah. So there's a couple of ways that I do that. One is hopefully your listeners are familiar with the idea of an accountability chart, which is different than an org chart, but really looking at what people are doing and making sure that each person is in their appropriate seat. And from that, we do a lot of succession planning. I understand, especially with small businesses, sometimes the CEO is also the lead salesperson, but that doesn't mean that the CEO should also be the bookkeeper and the marketing coordinator and the social media manager and the copywriter and the everything else. So what can the business handle? What can't the business handle? I For the most part, there have been some exceptions. I don't believe that um, most people should be unicorns in a company. And so we really look at getting the right people in the right seats and then also the legacy planning of that, right? Except for the founder and even sometimes not even the founder, no one's in the business for the long haul. So if we're training someone to do the thing, let's make sure that we're building a library that the next person after that person can depend on. And also, you know, most founders got into business for themselves so that they would have a little bit more freedom of time. If the leader or any member of the team is so engulfed in the business that they cannot step away from the business, to me, that is a major red flag in the business. And one of the things that I do is get in there and figure out how we can get that sorted. Yeah, I always joke that entrepreneurs are the one people that leave a bad boss for the worst boss themselves. That's right. (laughs) That is so true. You mentioned a difference between org chart and accountability chart. We've all seen an org chart has a CEO up here and a couple C-suite and a bunch of people underneath. So we'd love to hear about the differences between an accountability chart and an organization chart. Yeah. So I think if you have the visual of an organizational chart in your mind, the accountability chart is actually who currently is doing that thing. And one of the activities that I tend to take my CEOs through is putting their name on all of the different jobs. Generally, I like to do this in a different color so it really pops out so they can say, oh my gosh, no wonder my time is spread so thin, right? Because I'm actually doing eight different roles. And I think that's a hard thing um, when you're in the business working, you're used to being like a solopreneur, maybe you've just got a few team members um, to identify when the business has taken control of you and 
oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing these 10 jobs anymore and or I'm limiting the growth of the business because I am doing these 10 jobs. One one issue that a lot, we often run into is looking at those 10 jobs, for example, and trying to figure out when it is time to hire out mm-hmm. or when it's kind of time to put head down and just be like, yeah, it sucks. Like, I need to do some customer service as a CEO. But how do you look at that when you're advising someone? Sure. So I first generally think about it in terms of opportunity cost. If the CEO is being the customer service person, then something else is suffering. And what is the cost of that other thing not getting done? And you can literally put dollars to that and do an exercise of if my time is worth, I don't know, making this up a thousand dollars an hour, what would I pay my customer service person to do the same thing? Um, The other thing that I would say is that CEOs should be primarily designing the business and thinking forward as that visionary, not being the doer of the business. So anytime something is a repeatable task, most likely there's someone else in the team that can do it. Something that I spent a lot of time working with my CEOs on is this idea of making a hire or making too many hires. And Mm. I believe uh, that... It takes a lot of time and a lot of trust to bring someone into the business, train them up, and then to kind of release that responsibility. But I don't believe in going from, oh, I think I might need this position filled to let's hire them full time with X amount of salary and benefits, right? Let's figure out what the job description is. Let's bring someone on board for a 30-day trial period. Let's bring them on as a 1099 for 30 days. It doesn't need And let's bring them on for five hours a week, right? It's not that we need to go from no support to a full team with a huge amount of responsibility for all the things that come with managing people. Step into it, see how it feels. Think about like when I bought my first house, I didn't know what I was buying. And by the time I bought my second house, I was like, oh, I know that this feature is really important to me or that feature is really important to me. Test out the waters in a small controlled environment. And I think it's really okay, especially when you're interviewing, say, let's try this out for 30 days. Know that it's me. It's not you. I need to get comfortable with this and even write it into the contract because that gives everybody the scope to come back to say, this is what we agreed to without feeling like you're having to have that really hard, unexpected conversation. You just want to be as as transparent as possible to make it as easy for everyone to plan later on. Yeah, we're hiring a, a fractional asset manager right now, and it's the exact same thing. 10 hours a month, one property, we own eight properties, and over time, yeah. we'll give him more if, if it makes sense. Otherwise, we can both walk away. And I presented, I was like, yeah, maybe you'll hate us, and uh, it'll be easy for you to leave. And I think people like that transparency, and when you frame it like that, it makes them laugh. It's not as serious. And if that's an issue to someone, then maybe it's not a good fit because if you have someone that really needs the job, they're kind of desperate, uh, they're going to say all the right things, but they might not be a great fit. Right. I agree with you. So in terms, so we talked about hiring and we talked about operations a little bit. Uh, anything else that comes to mind that you see that people run into, especially young startups in terms of operations? I don't think so. One of the things that, so I think of every business as your favorite hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, you walk in, 
And there's generally this amazing lobby and maybe there's some flowers or an apple waiting for you or something like that. That's your sales, your marketing, your PR, your front of the house of your business. I do an audit of the house, which is the way that you make your money. Just thinking about that user experience, like meeting people where they're at, whether it's low cost products or mid-level high-level products, which is, you know, that core offering of the hotel, like where they make their money and their conference rooms and their hotel suites and all of that sort of stuff. And then there's the back of the house, the business. I think every, the back of the house being like your legal, your finance, your team members, that sort of stuff, just like in a, a hotel. And I think there's areas of risk in every piece of the business. And I think it's important to, especially for visionaries that got into business because of the thing that they're passionate. For example, I was working with a teach the teacher yoga instructor and she's all over the internet and she's got millions upon millions of followers, but she had never run a business before. And here she was like in a near eight, probably an eight figure business with no actual business experience. And I'm having conversations with her like, no, we need to have contracts in place to work with these vendors. And yes, you need a privacy policy on your website. <laughs> yeah. This is yeah. your intellectual property. Let's protect it. And so I think it's, I think the conversation is don't be naive to the possibility of whatever might happen with your business or be afraid to ask for help. Because the last thing that you want to do is put all of this time and effort in. And because of the thing that you didn't know that you were supposed to do, which was probably a pretty small thing to begin with, have your entire business at risk. And I don't say that to scare people. I'm saying it because it's okay to be that visionary as long as you have that backup on the operations side that makes sure you're covered on the rest. Yeah, and uh, all that small stuff, you don't worry about it until you need it and then you wish right. you had done it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Cool, cool. There's one last question that I ask everyone. If there's okay. something that you wish you would have spent more time on, either money or more resources on time or money when you first started entrepreneurship, what would that be? more time on. I think it would be when I started as an entrepreneur, I mentioned I had all of those great clients. I was so concerned about knowing the right thing and talking to the right people and just keeping up that I didn't appreciate the experience enough. Like I'm never going to be at this point in my career again, and really figuring out who I wanted to be and who I wanted to show up as. And I, I wish I had slowed down to enjoy more of that time. I'm grateful to where it got me. Um, I'm grateful for that hustle and all those great things that came from it, but I definitely didn't appreciate it enough. It's just taking a second. It's like parent parenting, right? Just taking yeah. a second to enjoy. Like it might be the last diaper you're cleaning for a while or the last time you clean puke off the floor, right? It's it kind and of sucks those are things moment. I don't need to do again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Danielle, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thank Bye. you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any questions or would like to follow me, please sign up for my newsletter at frommd.com.